There are times when you have to have the most qualified person for the job. Airline pilots, heart surgeons, people deconstructing nuclear power plants. 50 miles north of Times Square sits the old Indian Point nuclear power plant. Critical structures of the plant lie just over 100 feet from one of the biggest natural gas pipelines in the Northeast. Highly radioactive spent fuel rods exceed the capacity of the pools of water they sit in. It's a disaster waiting to happen, a potential catastrophe that could make New York City, much of Long Island and Connecticut, uninhabitable for thousands of years. This is not the place to learn as you go. And this is Green Street. Pretty much everyone listening to this program on the radio lives within an area that would be uninhabitable in the event of an accident at the Indian Point nuclear power plant. Now, the likelihood of a meltdown at an operating nuclear power plant may be low, but that danger increases significantly when A, there is a giant natural gas pipeline just a few feet away, or B, the highly radioactive spent fuel rods are being moved around from place to place, or C, the company working to deconstruct the nuclear reactor isn't very experienced in doing this kind of work. Well, not to make you worry unnecessarily, but all three of those things are true in Buchanan, New York, as the years-long process of decommissioning the Indian Point power plant goes on. Who is supervising what's going on up there? Why haven't they turned off the gas while they do this work? Was the governor's victory lap over shutting down Indian Point a bit premature? Are we in potentially more danger now than we were while the plant was operating? In our standard intro for Green Street, I often talk about our network of highly qualified scientists and researchers who work on important environmental issues, and our guest this morning is no exception. Courtney Williams is a graduate of both Yale and Princeton and completed postdoctoral training at MIT. She brings over a decade of experience researching cancer and molecular mechanisms of disease to the issue of environmental impacts of energy infrastructure and shale gas development. Courtney is the co-founder of the Safe Energy Rights Group and is a coordinator with Resist Spectra, a group of concerned residents who use public education and direct action to push back against the dangerous buildout of fracking gas infrastructure in the Hudson Valley. The issue is pretty personal for Courtney. She and her family live just one mile from Indian Point and 400 feet from the recently expanded Algonquin Natural Gas Pipeline. Patty and I had a chance to speak with Courtney last week about the rather dire situation at Indian Point. And here's our interview with Courtney Williams. I live with my family in Peekskill. We're less than a mile from Indian Point Nuclear Power Plant. Um, my kid's elementary school is less than 4,000 feet from the reactors at Indian Point. And uh, we also live 400 feet from the Algonquin gas transmission uh, pipeline system. And their elementary school is 400 feet from the newly expanded uh, AIM pipeline segment of that gas pipeline. And in the past year, there's been a lot of changes. Uh, Indian Point reactors two and three closed down permanently. The license to operate the nuclear facility was transferred to a company that is part Holtec International and part SNC Lavalin. They created a limited liability company um, in order to decommission Indian Point, Oyster Creek, and other nuclear plants 
in a new, yet untested fleet decommissioning process, they're calling it, where they think, um, you know, kind of mass decommissioning multiple nuclear plants at the same time is going to make the process more financially valuable for them. Streamline um, it, right? Streamline <laughs> it. Just one size fits all, right? Exactly. And, uh-huh. you know, our community is not pleased with this. I mean, we didn't really want a company that um, had never decommissioned a nuclear plant before. We also didn't want a company with Holtec's history of malfeasance and bribery, for instance, that halted them from doing business with the Tennessee Valley Authority. And their bedfellow, SNC Lavalin, similarly was caught in a bribery scandal in Canada that really shone a negative light on the Trudeau administration up there. But so we, you know, we see Oyster Creek is a little bit ahead of us in the process. We see what's going on there with uh, safety snafus and, um, you know, really giving the local unions a tough time and not abiding by their word to uh, hire local skilled workers. Kind of worst case scenario, worst nightmare situation for us. And certainly as a parent with kids going to school that close to a nuclear facility, it was not reassuring when Holtec was unaware of the presence of the elementary school uh, or when they were unaware of the presence of the multiple gas pipelines underneath the facility. So our situation now is one where we are just doing our best to watchdog this process, but it often feels like screaming into the wind because New York State's Public Service Commission and Department of Public Service are aware of many of the safety concerns of having the pipeline there, and they are refusing to take action. Um, Governor Cuomo is not taking action. The federal regulators, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, the Pipeline and Hazardous Materials Safety Administration, you know, they're all just kind of washing their hands of this and saying, now that Indian Point reactors are shutting down, everything's safe. Problem solved, we're, we're done. But in reality, those of us uh, who've been paying attention realize that we have over 40 years of irradiated spent fuel stored at Indian Point. And Indian Point has one of the smallest or the smallest footprint of any nuclear facility in the country. It's also the only nuclear facility in the country crisscrossed by high-pressure gas transmission pipelines. Mm. Uh, it's also you know, right outside of New York City, right on the banks of the Hudson, which is a drinking water supply for many communities along the river. So we are really um, a unique case. And unfortunately, it does not seem that all the pieces of the oversight puzzle are working together right now. And so our main focus is trying to get folks to do their job and try to get these regulators to do the job of regulating and, you know, make sure that when you're doing demolition on top of multiple gas transmission pipelines right next to 40 years of irradiated spent fuel, maybe you should turn off the gas in those pipelines. You know, these kinds of common sense things that are really being ignored. Right, but of course that would interrupt the the flow of gas up the East Coast to the Canadian facility where they're shipping it overseas. And that's, you know, we don't don't want to stop. This is all about money. 
Right. So right. we actually did get, you know, a piece of good news, which is the um, Goldboro facility that was supposed to be liquefying this gas and shipping it overseas. And they cannot get money. They can't find investors to finance that operation. So it doesn't look like that, you know, that expanding this pipeline to su- supply more gas to Canada and overseas is going to happen. Yeah. Um, and we are in touch with our allies on the other end of this pipeline, you know, in Connecticut, Rhode Island, and Massachusetts. And, you know, they don't want to be living near it either. It's not safe for them. Well, one, depending on which way the wind blows, if the irradiated fuel at Indian Point were to catch fire in a pipeline rupture, uh, they could be displaced as well because of where that radioactive plume would travel. So in a way, they are a frontline community for Indian Point in that regard. But just on a daily basis, the facility in Weymouth, Massachusetts, it's a compressor station. Mm -hmm. The job of that is to pressurize the pipeline and pump the gas Right. Um, through the line. Right. Mm-hmm. They've had numerous shutdowns and venting events at that facility in the past two years since it went online. Just constant issues, constant venting into the community, and no clear answers from Enbridge. So the Algonquin transmission system is owned by Enbridge, which many people are familiar with the fight against Line 3 that's going on right now. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's all one pipeline to those of us that are our frontline communities to this. So, sure. you know, a- New England residents don't want to be put at risk from this either. And we've got communities on that end of the pipeline that are sh- fighting to shut it down just like we are on this end. So, and I cannot believe that it is not fe- possible to shut off the gas in the pipeline and keep uh, those communities safe as well and keep our community safe. It may not be profitable to do, but it is certainly feasible to do and, right. and, is, a, and is a public health um, issue that we need to address. So, you know, you mentioned that the investors for the gas that's being shipped overseas for that operation are dwindling. So, you know, why they're continuing this. I, I, I just have a question here. So I'm reading this article that was in the Times Union, Albany paper. We're hoping that Governor Cuomo read it. But he says, as governor and previously attorney general, I've been deeply concerned with the safety of the Indian Point nuclear power facility, given its proximity to some of the most densely populated areas in the nation. So he was deeply concerned. Nowhere does he even address the idea that the gas pipelines also make it a very, very dangerous situation for people that are in proximity, including New York City and, you know, 50 miles, that 50 mile radius that goes into Long Island and into New York, New Jersey and Rockland County and all over the place. So why is that missing? I'm guessing it's missing because um, Entergy and the nuclear industry didn't donate enough to the governor's campaign for re-election. Wow. Really? Pipeline companies, there was a... There was an article in Little Sis that came out a few years ago, you know, accounting for the $15 million spent by fracking pipeline operators to lobby various electeds in New York State. And I'm guessing the nuclear industry didn't read it or they would have spent similarly. Or maybe they did and Indian Point was the sacrificial lamb mm-hmm. to keep unprofitable plants upstate operating because yeah. they, mm-hmm. they got their seven-plus billion-dollar bailout mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. keep those upstate plants operating when they are no longer profitable. But Indian Point did not. You know, 
Indian Point um, is really a feather in the cap of the governor. He likes to to claim it as a victory, but it really is, I think, just a victory for his ego and not really a victory for the health and safety of New York State. Because no, it's not a victory you, at all. I no, mean, if he's, he's going to talk about if he's going to talk about the, his concern about the safety. Okay, then and without talking about the gas pipelines that underlie that land that 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 power plant sits on. Exactly. He's not talking about how failure of his Department of Public Service, his Public Service Commission to set realistic goals for getting off fracked gas allowed the closure of Indian Point to, um, you know, have more fracked gas providing our electricity. He announced the closure. He knew it was coming. If he's this climate champion that he makes himself out to be, he knew what would happen when that power went offline. And instead of getting all our ducks in a row to bring renewables online, he allowed for frack that $15 million in lobbying money paid off again, and the frackers um, got to bring more um, fracked gas electricity online to make up for that. Even though, you know, there's plenty of evidence that we could have done it with just renewables, but the governor did not care about that. But but it says that New York plans to replace Indian Point's nuclear power with renewable energy like solar power. Closure preparations began as early as 2012 when the PSC, Public Service Commission, ordered local utilities to study potential alternatives. Later in 2016, New York adopted a clean energy standard requiring up to 50% renewable energy by 2030. And then in 2018... Yeah, Yeah, clean energy standards they're not abiding by. We passed the Climate Leadership Community Protection Act several years ago, and yet our Public Service Commission continues to approve expansion of fracked gas pipelines. They continue to let our utilities expand um, gas hookups. Yeah. Yeah. They continue to allow ratepayers to finance those public hookups. You know, so I think it's more watch what they do and not what they say. Because certainly in their press releases, the governor's office and the Public Service Commission, you know, does a great job of wordsmithing and making it sound like they're doing something. But I'm part of um, a campaign statewide trying to force the Public Service Commission to, you know, in, implement the CLCPA, that Climate Leadership Community Protection Act. They have what they're calling a gas planning proceeding um, happening right now, and it's a lot of the same kind of mumbo-jumbo in that press release with, oh, we're going to study this. Mm. We're going to investigate. We're going to look into. We're going to ask utilities to prioritize. You know, like all of these wishy-washy words that don't actually set a deadline or Mm -hmm. set a measurable goal. Mm-hmm. And that is really what we need, because the Public Service Commission, since forever, has just been giving utilities the approvals that they want. And that's what's gotten us to this position. They could tell the utilities, um, you're no longer allowed to charge rates um, and make profit off of gas hookups and gas pipelines. You can only make money off of renewable energy that you sell. And you can imagine how quickly renewables would suddenly (laughs) become viable and would suddenly become online, becoming online when that was the the profit center for our utilities. But Con Edison, NYSEG, um, Long Island Power and Gas, they don't 
they don't want that. They don't want to invest in renewables, right? Like that's why they won't buy back our, the solar energy that people generate on the rooftop solar. They've got, you know, they've got a monopoly. They've got it locked in and they've got a captive agency in the Public Service Commission really just doing their bidding. And, you know, I unfortunately am living at the intersection of what happens when the Public Service Commission shirks its responsibility, both in terms of oversight of Indian Point, in terms of, you know, regulating pipeline safety, and in terms of setting goals to get us off fracked gas. You're listening to Green Street on WBAI, and our guest this morning is Dr. Courtney Williams, the co-founder of the Safe Energy Rights Group. This is a, a very familiar story with, you know, corporations, especially corporations that are involved in the, in the energy, energy sector, where, you know, they just get away with murder with their state, um, state commissions that allow them to do whatever they want. But this is a different story. We're talking about not just rate hikes, but we're talking about a potentially catastrophic event. And they're missing this piece of it. And this is from the governor's office down, you know, to the PSC and then from the PSC down to all down to everybody who's involved in this Indian Point situation. That message needs to be clear and it needs to come from the people of New York State. How what what organizations are you working with and how can our listeners get involved in this? Because New York City is a, is a target here. I mean, if something happens at Indian Point, New York City, you know, will bear the uh, the, the cost of this. Yeah, I think what folks should know is the way the Public Service Commission oversees our public utilities like Con Edison and NYSEG Mm -hmm. is pretty much the same way they're overseeing this decommissioning of Indian Point, which is basically letting the fox guard the hen house. Sure. And so right now I'm working with organizations all the way up to Massachusetts. Right. um, And we're pushing our federal regulators to step in where the state is not stepping up. But um, locally, we're working with Safe Energy Rights Group, mm-hmm. Stop the Algonquin Pipeline Expansion, Indian Point Safe Energy Coalition, Clearwater, Hudson River Sloop, Clearwater, we're Riverkeeper. We're all working together, basically, to try and push New York State to do the right thing. The governor uh, kind of did an end run around some very powerful legislation to create a decommissioning oversight board. Well, and actually, decommissioning oversight boards whenever a nuclear plant in New York State was being decommissioned, because we know Indian Point is just the first of several, given that none of them were profitable. And the governor did an end run around that legislation and prevented it from being passed and instead created a bill memo and really gutted all of the things that were important about that bill in terms of giving the public a seat at the table, giving experts a seat at the table, and making sure there was really real teeth behind that decommissioning oversight board to hold Holtec accountable. And instead, we now have another kind of do-nothing board filled with bureaucrats and elected officials in suits who are not necessarily the people that are most knowledgeable about this issue, nor are they the people with the most at stake in this issue. And 
quite frankly, are often people who have conflicts of interest when they need to be worried about um, pleasing the governor or being punished by him or being reelected or seeking campaign donations or fundraising from donors and right. such. So, so I, you know, I have a, I have a question before I sure. forget here about Riverkeeper, because, you know, that's probably the most, uh, you know, prominent and well-known organization, you know, just among the general public. But it, it says here that Richard Webster, who is who is Riverkeeper's spokesperson, I guess he's a legal program director, thinks that they've that they've built in quite a bit of oversight into the agreement, you know, with these with this company, this uh, this Holtec, and that they hope he hopes that the agreement will be a model for other communities, calling it one of the best and most robust in the nation regarding nuclear power plant decommissioning. I don't think he's wrong that it's the best and most robust. I think it's just telling that this is what could be considered the best. On an yeah. absolute scale, yeah. I do not think this is the best. Okay. If it was the best, then we would have people on that decommissioning oversight board ensuring that the gas is getting shut off when there's demolition going on at that site, and that's not happening. And I think if that was the best, then my community, my environmental justice community of Peekskill, would have a seat at the table. And we'd be hearing from residents, and we'd have, you know, actual folks who live there and not just elected officials. You know, what happens when there's turnover? What happens when someone doesn't get reelected? What happens if we don't have, you know, like right now, my county legislator, Catherine Borgia, is amazing. But what happens? You know, she's not going to be our county legislator forever for the next 250,000 years that irradiated fuel is stored at Indian Point. So what happens when she's not there anymore? And that's really part of the problem um, with the governor's decommissioning oversight board, is that it's kind of just, it's not people for whom this is the top priority. Mm. It's a lot it's a lot of elected officials that have a lot of irons in the fire that they need to take care of and this issue is paramount and it can't be you know anything you don't want people on this dob for whom this issue is not paramount of paramount importance sure so um, and i think so i think i don't think richard's wrong that new york state and riverkeeper drove a hard bargain but it's pretty clear what things were given up in that bargain. And I think one of those, for instance, that I wanted to see in that agreement was actual control and the willingness or the ability of the Public Service Commission to exert their the power that they have to shut off the gas in the pipeline. And instead, all we got was that uh, when Holtec's got to do demolition over on top of the pipeline, they'll call the pipeline company. Well, I would, you know, you would think that any agreement that was reached would include some opportunity for citizen participation and for the ability of citizens to ring the alarm bells if things aren't going well. I mean, there's got to be a, or there ought to be, I would think, some sort of relief Public valve uh, so that if things are not going as they should, there's an opportunity for the public to be informed. But I think, you know, a lot of this is just happening under the radar screen 
probably because the people that are involved are, uh, you know, powerful and influential and, you know, can flex their muscles and make things happen or not happen. You know, here we are, we're on the radio, we're doing everything we can to get the message out to the wider, you know, the New York population. I just wonder why the media isn't more involved in exposing this for what it is. You know, and and I wanted to make another comment. I mean, this should be made up of the most competent, the ones with the most experience, and the ones with the most, who are the most at risk, which is, you know, the community. That's you. I mean, it's ridiculous that you don't have a say in this and that that this whole idea of these gas pipelines. I mean, yeah, I mean, you already have something that's that's very risky, which is the, you know, these spent rods sitting on the site. And there's probably more of them they should than there should be. I mean, you know, I think those pools are holding more than originally intended for the size of them. And, you know, they need to be in, you know, these cement casks or whatever they put them in and buried if they were going to do that right. But they never did that. Right. So they're just sitting there. So that in itself, even without a gas explosion, is a risk. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the way that they're putting together gas pipelines today, uh, especially these two that that we're really concerned about, the new ones, these expanded, you know, these larger diameter ones, you know, we had experts come in and talk to us about, you know, who's actually building these things, who's actually welding these things. And, you know, it's not the it's not the companies. They're hiring these outside, you know, consultant companies to come in and, and do the work. And who's watching them? Yeah. And I mean, for the AIM pipeline expansion, which everyone can remember, is 105 feet from critical safety infrastructure at mm-hmm. Indian Point. Mm-hmm. That pipeline, when it was under construction, there were whistleblowers that came forward and said that Spectra, who owned the pipeline at the time, was burying pipe before welds could be inspected. Yep. And those whistleblower reports are on the record. And that that's, is the pipeline. That's, that's not going right to do anybody there. good. That's not going to do anybody any good if, we got, yeah. if we've got a rupture. I know. And that's one of the things, usually when I talk to folks about this situation, I just acknowledge the cognitive dissonance of like, you know, it doesn't take a nuclear engineer or a pipeline safety expert to intuit that having a massive gas transmission pipeline underneath a nuclear power plant and 40 plus years of irradiated spent fuel is a bad idea, right? I think any lay person can understand that given that there are pipeline ruptures happening every single day of the year, if you look at the data, that it is not safe to have those co-located with a nuclear power plant outside of one of the world's most important population centers. And so when we're talking about this, a lot of people think, like, there's no way that could happen. Like, nobody would let that happen. Like, there's got to be laws about that and all of these things. And even when I talk to elected officials, it takes time to kind of break through that thought that there's somebody minding, you know, minding the shop Mm -hmm. that won't let bad things happen to us. And... You know, the veil has been lifted from my eyes, and, you know, I do naive. not. That's pretty naive <laughs> thinking. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but it, it takes overcoming that for people to really realize the jeopardy that we're facing right now. And we're seeing what's happened. Look at what happened in Florida with the tragic loss of life 
from the condo collapse where people knew stuff was going on, there had been rules, but people saw the damage, but nobody wanted to be the one to stand up and say, we need to evacuate this building. And because nobody had the bravery or the courage or the legally enforceable obligation that they abided by, now we have, you know, I think we're up to 95 lives lost there, not to mention the thousands of other lives impacted. Similarly, what happened in Texas when they had that cold snap and everybody's electricity went out and people couldn't get heat. Nothing was, you know, none of their infrastructure was hardened against that event. How many people lost their lives? This happens over and over and over again in our country. And just like it is a problem in all of these individual instances, it is a problem with our pipeline safety and it is a problem with our nuclear safety. And it is just dumb luck that we have not had a tragedy. So I think folks need to look at what's happening elsewhere and realize the analogous situation is happening right now at Indian Point. There are enough documented problems. The Nuclear Regulatory Commission's Office of the Inspector General did um, an investigation into the approval of the AIM pipeline at Indian Point and found that the NRC reverse-engineered their assessment in order to be able to approve the pipeline construction. That is one of many examples I can give you that should have shut off the gas in this pipeline and or stopped construction of this pipeline before a shovel was in the ground. But there is no one standing up for the public and enforcing even the laws that we have on the books. And we are so far gone now where, you know, all along this process, people could have stood up and stopped it. The New York State Department of Environmental Conservation could have stopped it. The Federal Energy Regulatory Commission could have stopped it. The Nuclear Regulatory Commission could have stopped it. Um, All of these agencies and all of the people that work at them could have stopped it. Right now, the Public Service Commission um, or the governor, they could reach out to PHMSA, the Pipeline and Hazardous Materials Safety Administration. That is a mouthful. The governor could reach out to PHMSA right now and tell them to shut off the gas, but nobody will. The governor will not, and there's no one brave enough at the Public Service Commission to raise the alarm. So will Indian Point go the way of some of these other communities where it takes a loss of life in order to get these these rules enforced and get someone to grow enough of a backbone to be the one to make the call? I hope not, because that's my family and my kids and my community that's on the line there. But there are plenty of documented instances and facts about this that could, any one of which could have halted the project or get the gas turned off. Nobody is minding the shop and nobody with the courage to do so is shutting this off. So if anyone, you know, I've said it before um, at Public Service Commission hearings, you know, if anybody at the PSC is tired of being a cog in this machine that just over and over again harms New Yorkers, let me know. Reach out. Mm. I will start the GoFundMe and contribute to it myself. But same goes for all of these other kind of captive agencies that are full of what I'm sure are good people 
but that are part of a process that is just putting so many Americans at risk. So, Courtney, let me ask you, we were talking earlier about the diminishing market for natural gas and for fracked gas. Is there the possibility that economics will rule the day, that eventually they won't use the pipeline because they won't have customers to buy the gas at the other end? I, I would definitely put more faith in um, capitalism to kill the fracking industry <laughs> than for the government to kill the fracking industry. Yeah. Okay, but that's it's actually not uh, funny. It's no. actually I not know. funny. I know. It's dark humor. Yeah. It's um, very dark humor, Courtney. But, I mean, all of this pipeline construction that's happening all across New York State, despite our CLCPA and climate-leading governor, fracked gas is so cheap here uh, that they're not making any money, and their only hope is to export this gas. And so that, you know, when you have billions of dollars to lobby and buy your own congressman, buy your own governor, buy your own senator, you can get a lot done. Unfortunately, um, my full-time job doesn't pay enough for me to buy a governor or a congressman. Um, otherwise, I would. So tell me, who is it in the New York State Legislature? I know that this is this is coming down from the governor. It's going through the DEC and then the Public Service Commission. But who sits on a committee or who heads up a committee in the New York State Legislature, either in the Senate or the Assembly or both, that is overseeing this or might have some say or sway in what's happening? Well, the governor appoints the commissioners to the Public Service Commission, and his two most recent appointees have zero experience and zero qualifications for the job other than being friends of the governor. So it really is an uphill battle uh, in that regard. There is, like, the Energy and Finance Committee. My own um, state senator, Pete Harcum, serves on that committee and has been a, a strong ally my assembly member, Sandy Gallif, has also been, they were co-sponsoring the Decommissioning Oversight Board legislation to try and get a powerful oversight process in place uh, that the governor did an end run around. But really, you know, the way Albany works, it's almost irrelevant who are, who's on these committees because everyone up there is doing the bidding of the governor. And this is the governor's mess. This is the governor's public service commission. This is the governor's department of public service. You know, he's the one who's putting his cronies on the PSC that have no qualifications. And he is the one that is ignoring this issue and wanting to put it to bed and just say reactors are shut down, problem solved. So if folks want to uh, give anyone a piece of their mind, it is the governor. And, um, and the Public Service Commission, because they are who he tasked with doing this. But I would guess that, that the PSC doesn't say boo without um, direct permission from the governor. Yeah. yeah, 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 you're right about that. If folks are on social media, mm-hmm. you know, Twitter, Facebook, they can look for Safe Energy Rights Group. They can look for Stop the Algonquin Pipeline Expansion, uh, Indian Point Safe Energy Coalition, and um, Clearwater, Hudson River Sloop Clearwater. Those are kind of the lead grassroots organizations that are working in unison um, to get this, you know, to watchdog this process. It is a huge issue, and I've been at this, it's literally seven years today. I was in my living room in Peekskill with a whole bunch of my neighbors 
um, having our very first meeting about the Algonquin pipeline expansion. So if folks are feeling overwhelmed, you know, go on those organizations, follow those Facebook pages, get on the email list for Clearwater. We will make it digestible and easy for you, send you those action items so you can put comments on the docket for the Public Service Commission. So you can call the governor with uh, a clear message that's being uh, shared by lots of your fellow citizens. Um, that is really the best way to go. And as we come out from COVID, um, I fully suspect that our clicktivism will go back to good old activism, boots on the ground activism, and we'll be you know, paying a visit to Albany to make sure that the governor can no longer just ignore our tens of thousands of phone calls. I'll get all these up on the website along with the uh, podcast of this show. So we'll make sure we get all that information in there. Well, thank you both so much for having me on. And thank you for your work over the years. You guys have been really such a help to my community as we fought this massive pipeline. And you continue to be friends of my community. And I just, on behalf of my family, I am so grateful uh, for the work that you do and um, could not possibly repay you, but just know how grateful we are. Well, feeling is mutual, and our admiration for you uh, and your colleagues in, in standing up for the rights of the whole New York area, whether they know it or not. So, Courtney, thank you again for being our guest on Green Street. It's really been a pleasure. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Green Street on WBAI, and our guest has been Dr. Courtney Williams, co-founder of the Safe Energy Rights Group and a leading voice seeking to bring sanity to what seems to be an insane situation and protect us all from what could truly be a catastrophic nightmare if something goes wrong at Indian Point. You'll find links to the groups Courtney mentioned on our website, greenstreetradio.com, where we archive all of our Green Street shows. And you can also sign up for program alerts and send us feedback on the show from the website. That's going to do it for this edition of Green Street. Thank you all so much for listening and supporting Green Street and all the other outstanding programs on WBAI. Thanks to our engineer, Michael G. Haskins, and all the other people at WBAI who work so hard to keep this station on the air. Patty and I will be back next week with another edition of Green Street. Until then, please be safe, stay well. We'll see you soon.